Welcome to Breadcrumbs. This is the prophetic journal of a girl who's more than happy to eat the crumbs off the master's table. If you're like me, then listen and be encouraged that even in the whispers and mere shadows, our God still speaks, and he has a lot to say. I don't usually talk about monsters, but that is what this one is going to be about. Two monsters that show up in the Bible, and two monsters that have shown up over and over and over again in my dreams, in my visions, in the dreams and visions of my friends and people around me. We've come face to face with them on occasion. And I know how it goes. People don't like hearing messages about things like this. They want to hear about the good stuff. But this is the good stuff. Who can put a hook in the jaw of Leviathan? God can. There is no monster that is prowling around the earth that is off-leash. Okay, so here we go. I'm beginning to think that maybe we're all born as weapons to be used against a specific monster. The clues are all there, I think, if you really look. So there's me, who was a kid that from the very start could not abide anything with eight legs that dangled from a thread, but would go out of her way to chase down anything that slithered, grab it by the throat, and run a hand with fascination along its coils. I have never been afraid of snakes. In the Bible, Leviathan is the biggest, baddest snake there is. Here's a few verses that tell us a bit about it. In Psalm 74 it says, You broke the heads of the sea monster in the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. Heads, plural. A multi-headed monster that lives in the water. Isaiah 27 In that day the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, the twisted serpent. He will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. So he's also a serpent, a dragon. With regards to serpents, we know plenty about those, biblically speaking, as well. Genesis 3, the serpent in the garden was cunning with his words. In Psalm 140, it says, They sharpened their tongues like a serpent's. Poison of a viper was under their lips. So putting all of that together, what we have is a breed of creature that seems to have a kind of dark power with words, a creature that twists and turns words to deceive. And the Leviathan is the worst of them all, making him the biggest, baddest twister of words out there. If one serpent with one tongue used words to convince a woman who walked with God in a perfect garden to be discontent, imagine what a multi-headed, huge sea behemoth with multiple heads and multiple tongues in those heads is capable of. This is an entity that deceives entire nations, entire cultures, the whole world. I have dreamed of him. In 2019, I had a dream that I was swimming in a dark lake. I dove under the water and my eyes immediately took in evidence of an ancient stone civilization. An entire stone city lay beneath me, beneath the waters. I could see an enormous statue of a king along with a bunch of creatures. I didn't feel safe. It wasn't a happy discovery. Looming out of the water was an enormous stone structure. Looked a lot like a castle 
and a large metal grate, much like a prison door, was set into the wall, low near the water. Suddenly, with a shriek of metal, the grate opened, and from out of it came a vast multi-headed dragon that lunged at me. My sister dreamed of her and her family being held prisoner on a boat in the sea, and rising up from under the water was the remains of a massive whale carcass. It had been devoured by a creature much bigger than it. Two years later, my daughter dreamed of a boy who was also a dragon. Only she could see the dragon underneath, and she watched him use his clever tongue to compel one and then another and then another teenage girl up onto a bridge where he continued to speak. And the more he spoke, the more of their will they gave over to him until they stood there vacant, completely his, and then he slowly devoured them. In the dream when the authorities came, this boy who was actually a dragon dove into the water and a large multi-headed dragon plummeted out of the sky into the water and rescued the dragon boy, carrying him away to safety. He grinned at my daughter as he flew past. In 2022, I dreamed of an army of massive purple serpents that were traveling down the river of my city. They had vibrant green markings, and they traveled towards the downtown core, consuming everyone in their path. What is evidence of Leviathan at work? I'll give you an example from this morning. I was up and about really early and I ended up at a McDonald's. And as I sat there, a group of people who seemed to know each other already, it seemed to me that they gathered together frequently. They started to banter back and forth. And pretty soon, this is all I heard. One of them would say this, Did you hear? Did you hear on the news? And they'd go on to explain and then the next person would say, Yeah, I heard that too. And I also heard this. And they started to whip each other into a frenzy of emotion, negative emotion. There was disgust in their voice. It became clear to me that they weren't questioning a single thing they were hearing, that they believed it all entirely, and that they were aligning their opinions with what they'd heard. And so just as the stories had been engineered to produce a certain result, I was witnessing an example of it right in front of me as they projected fearful possibilities of the future based on what they'd heard, and as they vilified whole segments of people because that's what they were told to do. That's Leviathan, the twisted serpent. Leviathan wants to make sure that you're not thinking for yourself. He most certainly wants to make sure that you are not filtering everything through the Holy Spirit. Leviathan wants to make sure that he's coiled around you so tightly that all you're hearing is the voices he wants you to hear, receiving the message he wants you to receive. That theory I mentioned about how maybe all of us were born to be specialized weapons to fight different monsters. When I headed off to university, I was pretty directionless. I really had no idea what I wanted to study. But I found myself in the most unlikely area of study. It was called mass communications. I think I landed there because one of the directions you can go from that degree is event planning, which was an offshoot of a degree in public relations. I had a very misplaced idea of what that actually meant. I soon learned that public relations is the art of glossing over the mistakes that the company you're aligned with made, of polishing up their reputation and putting them in the best light. And partway through my training, 
I realized that the only company I could ever, ever sign up to do public relations for is one that I could stand behind with full integrity. And for the life of me, I couldn't think of even one. Either way, I ended up being trained for three years on the philosophy, the development, and the history of different mediums of communication. And what really stuck with me is how powerfully these things were used for evil how incredibly effective they are at steering mass consciousness in a certain direction. I once attended a class that was called Propaganda, and when it came time for us to choose our essay topics, I attacked it with great zeal. I ended up producing a paper that revolved around the premise that the content that my propaganda prof was teaching was in fact propaganda. But as the years progressed, it became clear that I was very, very sensitive and attuned to hidden messaging, to patterns, to deception. And that's only increased. It's not a mistake that I was trained for three years in the very thing that is Leviathan's domain. If you haven't figured it out already, our media is lying to us. Over the past few years, I have observed the enemy's playbook through the media. Lies on both sides. As I've prayed against Leviathan, a very unexpected picture keeps coming up because I have never read the book Dune, but all I see is this huge, gaping mouth with circular rows of jagged teeth. But unlike the way they're portrayed in the movies, I saw that each row spun in opposite directions. The first row of teeth would spin to the right, and then the next row would spin to the left, and so on so that they were twisting and turning in opposite directions, all within the same mouth. That is a hallmark of Leviathan. He rules over the right and the left, both sides. It's his job to yank people all the way one way, and then all the way the other, to yank culture to the extremes of both sides, so that there's hate, mistrust. And then he'll put words in the mouth of someone from one side, that better fits the other just to throw everybody off, just to add confusion, instability, fear. People whipped up like the froth of the sea that the dragon was riding in my friend's dream, as though those waters were being turned up on purpose. That's monster number one. Monster number two, her name is Artemis. She takes up a lot of space in Acts 19 when Paul visits Ephesus. There was a man in that town, and he made all of his money making silver shrines to a goddess named Artemis. It brought him a lot of profit, and when Paul came along preaching the gospel, and people turned away in droves toward Jesus who doesn't require any silver shrines or statues or trinkets, well this man, he got really angry, and he called together all of his buddies who also made a lot of money off the temple. And this is what he told them. He said, this Paul has persuaded and misled a large number of people, claiming that gods made by human hands are not really gods at all. Our trade is in danger. We will be discredited. But also, the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. She whom all of Asia and all of the world worship. She'll be dethroned and she'll lose her glorious magnificence. And then the city was filled with confusion. A riot broke out. And what was remarkable about this riot was this, in verse 32. Some shouted one thing, some another, 
for the gathering was in confusion and most of the people didn't even know why they'd come together. This was a supernaturally induced riot. This is the power of Artemis. She's not just a myth, she is an entity. She is a demonic power, alive and well in the world. I had a vision once of two road signs. The first showed the temple of Artemis. The second showed a Greek symbol. I saw it so clearly I was able to find it the next morning. And it was the symbol for fertility. Artemis was worshipped so widely because she was considered to be a savior, a deliverer. She was the goddess of fertility, of birth. She's who women would call on to act as a kind of spiritual midwife during their labors. She was considered to be the goddess of the night, of the moon. And in spite of being worshipped as the goddess of childbirth, she herself rejected motherhood, marriage. There's an androgynous quality to her as she roamed the night hunting. She was known for her untethered, unbridled independence. Does this or does this not sound like the age that we are living in? My understanding is that it is this principality that is largely responsible for all of the gender confusion. But not only that, she's responsible for all of the ways in which identity is being messed with. Both identity that is being blurred and wiped away, and identity that is being weaponized and calcified and hardened into an idol. She's at both ends of the spectrum and everything in between. She is the riot queen, and we haven't seen anything yet. We have dreamed of her as well. I once dreamed that I was standing under a full moon and a woman stood before me. She was tall, pale, wrapped in a dark cloak with her hood up. She didn't say a word. She simply looked at me and smirked. And then her creatures began to encircle me. They were a mix of animals, part stag, part dog, part bear. And then they lunged, but I suddenly grew wings and I flew up and away. My daughter dreamed that she climbed the steps to her bedroom and she found it etched the entire way around with dark demonic graffiti. The same symbol over and over and over again. When I dared to look it up, I did find it. It is one of the occult symbols. In the dream, a voice belonging to someone she couldn't see warned her, if you mess with my rabbit, I will make war with you. What you learn pretty quickly when you start to understand the history of the world is that the enemy stays the same. It's not that he changes. It's just that he changes his packaging over and over and over as the years go by. And what I have learned is that Ishtar is Isis, is Asherah, is Artemis. The same principality, simply changing forms and names, depending on the culture, depending on the era. And Ishtar was the goddess of fertility, and her symbol was a rabbit. These are apparently the origins of Easter. Ishtar, Easter, and why rabbits feature so prominently. It's not pleasant to think about. Rabbits, for obvious reasons, make a very good symbol for fertility. The most impactful dream that I ever had regarding Artemis was this. In the dream, I was walking the dusty streets of a Middle Eastern town, and a girl sidles up to me. She looks so normal. In hindsight, she looked like how I would have pictured Mary 
Just a girl, plain clothing, hair covered, dressed in neutral colors. She leaned close and she said to me, my brother, he's just given me the seven mountains. At the time, I had no idea what that meant, but I now know that the term seven mountains has been used by certain Christian groups to mean the seven aspects of society that we as Christians should try really hard to be a part of so we can influence it, cause change. Family, religion, education, media, entertainment, business, and government. The scene changed in the dream after this, and suddenly I was sitting inside the sanctuary of what I know to be a very religious church, very austere, very proper, and a dark and forbidding king and queen sat on a throne in the sanctuary, and they handed over a gold bracelet to their daughter, Artemis. And my vision was able to zoom in on the bracelet, and that bracelet was of a serpent biting its own tail. It's called the Ouroboros. In myth, it's known as the world serpent that wraps itself around the entire earth under the waters of the sea. It's also known as the chaos dragon. While I've gotten fairly familiar with both of these monsters, I hadn't realized how closely they were connected until recently, but I believe they are. I believe it's possible that Artemis is the woman riding Leviathan the woman riding the beast in Revelation. I believe it's possible that Artemis, the twister of identity, is the woman riding on Leviathan, the twister of words, the ultimate team to sow confusion and chaos. One of my friends, she told me two dreams that highlight this pairing in an extraordinary way. First, she dreamed of a man who was a slave on a fleet of ancient ships that were ruled by an ancient female commander, kind of like a pirate queen. She was tall and lanky, and her servants seemed to all be men, and she cast this man, nearly naked, to the top of her ship using her powers. And he was tethered to the crow's nest with large ropes, and she said that in seven years he would be her slave forever. In the second dream, a witch was tormenting a man, the powers of this witch came from the sea. She would throw him onto demonic roller coasters and water slides next to a deep black sea until he was tattered all over. His clothes were ripped. His skin was torn. He could barely walk, couldn't speak. She was wearing him down enough so that she could throw him to a dragon in the midst of the black sea. After these dreams, my friend, she went looking to see if there was a person in history who fit the description of some kind of pirate queen that had a vendetta against men. And listen to what she found. In ancient Greece, there was a commander of naval ships called Artemisia of Caria. Artemis, Artemisia. She got her name from the Greek goddess Artemis. And in the artwork depicting her, she has a bow and arrow, just like the huntress. I might have mentioned this before, but my littlest daughter, only six years old, she woke up in the morning and wandered into my room and she said, Mommy, God told me that really soon you're going to get to fight something really big and really bad. She sounded really excited about it. And honestly, it made me excited. What did I get to fight? And so I began to pray and I asked a few friends to pray into it. And one friend got back to me, having heard and seen this. He saw a picture of Medusa who is known for having a head full of snakes and for turning men to stone. But in his vision, he soon realized 
that Medusa was simply one small part of a much more vast and multi-headed creature. It was a serpent with many heads. Another friend had a vision of me standing on an enormous black X in the middle of a Colosseum. I was worshipping with a small group of people that he suspected might have been my family. And as we worshipped, from beneath our feet under the black X, snakes started to coil up and around it, and pretty soon it revealed itself to be a multi-headed dragon. He says that the vision shifted, and he saw me with a sword holding up one of the heads. I'd managed to chop one of the heads off the multi-headed dragon. And still another friend got in touch to tell me about a dream that had really disturbed her. In the dream, she was holding a small snake in her hand and it was aggressively trying to bite her. And as she wrestled with this small snake, that's when she realized that she was actually sitting on the back of a much bigger snake, an enormous one, making its way through the waters of a turbulent, frothing sea. That same night that I had dreamed, the dream I mentioned about those purple and green snakes that were devouring my city, I also dreamed of the woman I mentioned in one of my very first episodes. She was singing on a stage. She glowed brilliant green, the very same green of the markings of the snake, a color that I've come to associate with witchcraft. And she was made of sinuous, coiling strands that moved seductively, a lot like swaying snakes. I think we're dealing with a partnership here. A really monstrous one. And the combination, it should serve as a great big warning that you really don't need to take my word for because it's in the Bible. I have spoken of this before, but the word speaks of an increasing deception as the days grow old and of an ultimate deception that will be so intense, confusion so heightened and so supernaturally fueled that even the elect would be lost if God allowed it. My brother and a good friend of mine, we went downtown a few days ago to just walk the streets and pray. And as we approached downtown, both my friend and my brother began to develop headaches. I've learned to trust their unease. If they're feeling ill, it's because something in the spirit is very dark and tangled. The three of us stood in front of our parliament building and there was just the strongest sense of a coiled serpent. In one sense, it was wrapped tightly and protectively around something. In another sense, it was an open jaw, luring people in, trying to swallow them, funnel it through its belly. I believe that my city is very tightly in the grip of Leviathan. I believe that my city, which is the seat of power for my country, is tightly wrapped in the coils of the serpent that manipulates and twists communication. And I believe that my city will soon be a place of increased chaos, increased confusion, rioting, unrest, as the partnership between Artemis and Leviathan strengthens. But like I said, we don't need to be afraid of monsters. The night that I dreamed of the purple and green snakes, the very same night I dreamed of the snake woman glowing green and dancing seductively, my night closed with the dream of a sky opening up in a storm. 
In the dream, I felt hungry for this storm, eager for it to hurry up and arrive. And what I saw on the horizon is what looked like the release of hundreds and hundreds of angels speeding towards the city. Our God is the God of angel armies. We as God's kids can be completely immune from the weapons that this evil partnership plans on loosing against us. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. I think of how our main parliament building has a tall tower, and of all things, it's called the Peace Tower. And I'm standing on that, I'm declaring that, that no matter what confusion comes, peace will reign, peace will win. Just as that tower, the Peace Tower, is the highest building in our downtown core, we, as God's people, rise above the chaos. We can stay above it while things seethe and froth below. We do not need to be swept up. Proverbs 3, don't depend on your own understanding. Seek His will and He will show you which way to go. Isaiah 26, you will keep in perfect peace everyone who trusts in you, anyone whose thoughts are fixed on you. James 1, if you need wisdom, Ask our generous God, and He will give it to you. Isaiah 30, 21 Your ears will hear Him. Right behind you a voice will say, This is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. If Artemis loves to twist people's sense of self into knots, and if Leviathan loves to twist words into cunning weapons of deception, will our God he is the one who makes crooked things straight. What we're dealing with is the difference between the crooked, twisted nature of our enemy and the straight way of our God. I came across a passage that has always baffled me in Ezekiel 46, 9, and even a year ago, I didn't have any real insight into what it meant. But reading it this year, suddenly I saw a link between this passage and an earlier one in Ezekiel that started to give me some ideas as to what it might mean. So in Ezekiel 46, it speaks about the layout of the temple, and then it goes on to focus on the flow of movement of the people as they came in and out of the doorways and gates. Basically, it said that if the people came in one of the gates, they had to go out the one on the opposite side that they were not to go back out the way they came. It said, they shall go out straight ahead. And there was something about that language that reminded me of Ezekiel 1 when it talked about the four living creatures. And in that passage, it said that those creatures only moved in a straight line, and each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. And that's when I saw it. The temple represents being in the most intimate presence of the Lord, and the straightest path to the heart of God is the Holy Spirit. We know that the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit out to us. The Spirit speaks what the Father says and then comes back to Him. And so how beautiful that in the description of the flow of traffic of the temple, it might be trying to communicate that we're only to go straight ahead that wherever the Spirit goes, we go. That to follow the Spirit is to go straight to the heart of God, not turning to the left or the right. In contrast to all this straight talk, Philippians speaks about the opposite. It calls us to be pure 
and innocent children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom we shine as lights in the world. The NLT words it this way, live clean, innocent lives as children of God. And there you have those two words, pure, clean, straight out of Psalm 24 again, always going back to Psalm 24, putting it all together. What you have is a people who are following in the wake of the Holy Spirit, not turning to the left or the right. And that doing that leads to innocence, to clean hands and a pure heart. It'll lead us straight into the inner courts of the temple. And so if we become a straight walking people, a people who trail along in the straight path of the Holy Spirit, straight to the heart of God, then no matter how much twisting and warping that monstrous pair tries to trap us in, it won't work. We just have to be willing to walk that straight path. And that's the question you're going to have to ask yourself. Are you willing to walk only in a straight line, not going to the left or the right? not going your own way, not having your head turned by other things. I think we're in a time now where we cannot afford to say no. If he calls, get up, get dressed, get your shoes on, and run straight for him. Run straight with him, along straight paths, straight to the heart of the Father. Don't look left, don't look right, and I mean that in more ways than one. Look straight at him. And the monsters, they can't get you. If you want to interact with any of these episodes, if the Lord has spoken to you about similar things, then I really want to hear about it. This podcast has an Instagram account over at Mildly Prophetic. If you hop over there, you can share the things you've seen and heard. You can ask me questions. Basically, you can add your breadcrumbs to mine. And if we gather them all up, then what a feast it'll be.